Okay, let's let's hear the ideas. The recording starts now. You were just mentioning that you watched the the end of the year thing that I did last week. Yeah. And we're speaking about creativity. So yeah. why don't you start us off? So the first thing that came to my mind was why not use poetry as a trigger to get into a discussion? Mm. Like it can be an excerpt of a poem or or just a complete poem. It doesn't need to be English, can be any you know, language actually. Um, of course, you need a translation because the, otherwise you're not as free to talk about it, obviously. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I had my first intuition was like, maybe I should do a German podcast series on my channel about Goethe <laughs> the poems yeah. and how that relates to solving the meaning crisis, something like that. That's really cool. Because then basically you begin with poetry. And I mean, I, I loved your discussion with Aaron about the transcendentals. That was wild. That was that was really a, a great, great discussion, and I, I have to I have to listen to that again because it was so dense. Um, He's I mean, a dense made, guy. Oh, he is. He is. <laughs> um, and one can see that he's very fluent in and affluent in all that he's talking about. So it's not like he like like me. I have to like think for minutes before mm. things come to my mind. I see. It seems to be immediately present to him. Yeah, is, I think which it's, is, uh, uh, I mean, it's a it's 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 a great uh, aspect to to have that if you're an a lecturer or a teacher at the university. Mm -hmm. um, so if you're proficient in what you're doing, that's always uh, the perfect start for being a good teacher. But at the same time, I realized he probably is able to talk so well versed because he's teaching. Yeah, and. That is something that I, I I have that in my own uh, professional life. I'm a, I'm a teacher. I'm a lecturer for for uh, certain aspects of law in the organization I work in, and that has given me so much feedback and so much learning, way more than I would have ever had if I were just participating in you know a seminar or something like that. Yeah. Um, and that at the same time is what I find lacking in my own participation here in this little corner. And that I think is also part of the on-ramp discussion and uh, the on-ramp problem that uh, Paul Vanderclay and others are currently talking about. How do you become an active member of this corner without being proficient in everything that's being talked about? So you have some intuitions and you have some ideas and you can't just mimic or copy those at the top of the hierarchy that won't work so it has to be something way way more you know uh mundane or ba basic yeah and i think each and every one of us has this spark of creativity that is it has this it's kind of anarchy it's like something comes to your mind and you don't know where it comes from and usually people don't follow that thought, but creative people tend to make that the starting point for something. Yeah. yeah so beautiful. whatever so whatever that anarchy is inside you, it can <laughs> be painting, it can be writing, it can be whatever. That's, I think, the starting point, how we become members of this little corner of the internet. I think I'm going to link below a video recently made. I'm pretty sure you might have watched it. It was by someone who calls himself a lurker. 
in this little oh yeah corner. i watched it just Did this morning <laughs> yeah I saw, I saw it this morning as well so there's the this waves the waves of obsession yes yeah yes so this guy in this little corner who made a video trying to describe this little corner yeah he did it in such a creative way and um yeah i thought it was it was brilliant in the sense that he laid it out pretty well and he also laid out the problems pretty well what you just discussed as well yeah how do you participate if you do not emulate um and if you maybe don't want to leave comments or want to participate in all of the discussions if you don't have time for that i do think at the end he came with kind of a message of like start your channel and i'm trying to remember what else he said it was just trying to grow this network as, as like as he, big as he possible makes this image of the of the selling booth yes it's not the front store it's not on the main street it's just a selling booth and people come there and it's crowded and it's busy and it's not really professional but it works <laughs> it works yeah although i although i'm a bit hesitant because um i don't think we're doing economics here no it's not about trade-offs and it's not about you know selling goods to someone if that were the case, I would be totally in the profilicity authenticity game. And yeah. that's exactly what I don't want to be. Because I think that what, what is really a hallmark of this little corner of the internet is that, of course, there are really, really clever people on there, but most of them don't make a fuss of it. It's about getting into a discussion, no matter how well-versed the opposite side is. It's finding common ground independent of our education and upbringing and experience and knowledge. And that's what I think is so relevant and important today, because usually people don't talk with you if you don't know the same thing that they know. Mm -hmm. That's ex that is like my experience at work. It's like, okay, if you don't have experience in that field, don't talk to me yeah <laughs> like you're boring to me and it's like why <laughs> yeah i think that indeed the idea of the marketplace might be a bit of a misleading sketch also because i think it's such a secondary thing you know the the trade let's say yeah i mean trading in general trading ideas is a good thing but i think the market is inextricably linked with that idea of of, of the money that's involved and I don't look down on that, but I don't think it fits there. It's kind of like when you make music for money instead of making music for music's sake. Perhaps, I don't know if there's a, a different view. I mean, a lot of people thought about this for a while, of course, starting with the corner and thinking about, I don't know, it was like a C metaphor. I don't know. I don't know the word that was being used. It was like. You mean the estuary, not the estuary? No, another word. I, I, I don't know. It was mentioned. I mean, Green Bris, the flotilla. Yeah, the flotilla. So yeah. <laughs> But I mean, the, the, the waves of obsession really made a valid point there and said, well, to be a flotilla, you need a boat. Yeah, exactly. So that gets you into the question is, is Theseus ship the same <laughs> or is it not? Yeah, exactly. Like, what do you mean by boat? <laughs> yeah. And then the marketplace is already better because it's easier to participate. But I guess we can, we can draw it a step closer, but we'll have to think about it. Anyway, well, I it's, thought it, it it's was in brilliant. a sense, it's um, it might actually be similar to the discussion that you probably have with yourself about 
the centrality or decentralization of money uh, of of bitcoin mm-hmm. so what what makes what makes bitcoin so interesting it's that you don't need to trust each other mm-hmm. it's the, the the mechanism that creates the trust and that's exactly not what we're trying to make out of this corner or yeah. what we're trying to achieve in our discussions is it i don't, I don't think so i think no. we are trying to build trust because we are talking with each other in a way even though we do not know what the atten- intentions of the others necessarily are yeah and so it's 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 in a it's in a very practical sense um vulnerability that's being practiced in this little corner of the internet yeah i guess you're kind of creating little homes everywhere like i think because we all go into these conversations with this pure intention of really like outside of our work outside of you know making money or whatever it is we want to have these types of conversations yeah there's such a purity to that that you you go out into the world with that i don't know those rule sets those let's say um, conditions then that creates a space of trust a space of, of a feeling of home or at least a feeling of you know you, you can be there and let's listen and let's talk and that's that's such a safe space to be in let's say yeah i mean it's 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 part of what what um Viveki calls the ecology of practices right so it's this homing in mm-hmm. we are participating in something together i mean obviously it's it's in that sense a bit paradoxical because we are not participating in the same room right now no <laughs> and still there's something that makes the connections with many of those in this corner way closer than what some of us have in real life, Mm. which is this weird paradox. Like you can have friends with whom you would never be able to go that deep (laughs) the way you go in the, in in the, in the comment section of a YouTube video. (laughs) Yeah. Though I must say, I feel more and more in my life, I've tried to create an environment in which that does happen a lot. Right. But it's not it's not normal. But <laughs> that's why people are always shocked. Like today, I had multiple of these conversations. Like I just was having coffee with a friend um, earlier tonight. Or at least it feels like nighttime because at 4.30, it's pitch dark here. But <laughs> we had some we had some coffee. And yeah, we just did like a whole life story of his and discussing really serious things. Um, but like deep things. And he was so taken aback by all of this, but it was beautiful. And we both really liked it. And he got out of his comfort zone and I did. And, and yeah, I think it's a good reminder to, for the people that are participating in this, to know that there's a way to also do this just in general. I think in a way, what this little corner has brought me is um, the ability to do more and more of this and to see the value in it and to, yeah, to carry that out um so i think how that's to not how to not just walk one mile with your neighbor two miles yeah it's a very beautiful. christian motif actually uh, if someone asks you to walk with him a mile do it for two miles yeah so it's it's and in that sense it's you it's it's kind of sacred actually it's like how do we in our lives online and offline participate in the world that the world looks at us like like a lighthouse Mm. 
and that's that's an image that i've been thinking about recently quite quite a lot it's like no before that i was like okay i'm a speedboat i have to get out there i have to you know go crazy mileage yeah <laughs> fast 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 yeah, action that's great. and that's not how the world what the world needs around me no what the world needs is like you stand there and you don't move and you shine yeah. And then people notice you and say, okay, thanks for the orientation. Mm. And that at times can feel utterly boring because you don't move. And at times it's life-saving for other people. And we have to, or I have to learn to live in this tension of not moving and at the same time accepting that me not moving might actually be beneficial for those around. Yeah. yeah I think it's a beautiful example. I think... You're you're saying it right in the sense that this is actually what the world needs. I think that's that's the way you phrased it. People are really longing for that. I sometimes speak with people that are in a speedboat, let's say, mm. and they're so afraid of being um, of standing still. Yeah. And let's say not hearing the water. That when I do speak to them about that, they just cry instantly. I, I, I know multiple people right now that are so moving so fast that just the idea of just sitting with your thoughts and your emotions and just having a conversation that's here or not even speaking at all, it's just, it's too much. Yeah. And so it shows the, the necessity for it. And it is much. I think, I think modernity is putting so much pressure on us um on the individual especially mm. since it's not part of a larger community anymore because the grand narrative has been lost yeah. or been or been consciously disposed of mm. which is even worse <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's my personal opinion yes. um so the question is and this is this is why i've come to the conclusion that i can't change the world around me if i don't change what's directly in front of me that I have to begin with those very small steps mm -hmm. and create narratives that are, are meaningful. And so what we've been doing in our family for years now is like every Christmas Advent period, we have this small, uh, what's it called in, in English? A Wichtel? I don't know what's it called in English. I'm not sure. You know the I Dutch to, word by chance? I have to look it up. Wait, I have to look that Wichtel. one up. Um, it's a it's a, a fantasy figure. It's very small. It's okay. like a dwarf, but it's not not really uh, <laughs> an imp. Oh, okay. <laughs> so so there's a Christmas imp. Yeah. Okay. And 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 he's he always moves in on the first of December. And he moves out after Christmas. And this year, last year, my wife did the most most of it. And this year I did it. And it was such an intense period for me as well, because I was writing the letters to my kids on behalf of that imp. And I was doing, you know, the hoaxes and the jokes, like exchanging the toothpaste with mustard or something mm -hmm. like that. Right. So, mm -hmm. and my children took that dead serious. They were like, okay, he didn't write a letter today. Is everything okay with him? What's going on? And, oh, he's moving out again. Oh, that's so sad. 
how are we going to know whether he's he's fine? And so I made up this idea that we have a small post office box here uh, in the children's room and they can write a letter if they want to and then they get a reaction as well uh, over the year. And that is that is basically enchantment. Mm. It's like, okay, you live in a world where things like these are more real than reality. And I'm totally thrilled by the fact that I have little children that I can live that out. Mm. And at the same time, I see all of the adults in my working place, <laughs> all my friends, mm. and they are so utterly disenchanted by everything. It's yeah. it's insane. When whenever there's this like this hint of something what you could say is like sacred or magical or whatever, it's like, okay, how do we explain that in naturalist, materialist? quantitative science measurement terms yeah and i'm always like oh gosh <laughs> suck the magic out i yeah. had this story yeah. recently of this guy who saw luminescence for the first time and he was so amazed by it, like so beautiful to him hmm. and then uh his friend was like oh yeah that's just that's luminescence you know and he started explaining the science behind it yeah and it completely pulled out the magic for him like he's like oh that's what it is oh, okay you know <laughs> And that's so sad. I, I remember, um, so when, when I was a bit younger as a teenager, I would listen to uh, Donald Glover. He's an artist, also an actor. I really liked him as a kid. And when he won this award for an album he made, it was this really peculiar speech he did. And he was like, you got to bring magic back. You know, the kids mm -hmm. don't have magic anymore. It was like this very specific speech. And it always stuck with me. I was like, oh, that's really true. But I, I didn't even know who exactly he was directing it toward. I kind of like the whole, you know, scientific worldview, I guess. But it's really, I think, something a lot of people experience. And now they long for it so deeply that it can also come back in, in pretty weird ways, like hearing a lot about um, witchcraft and stuff like this. Right, right. And that's <laughs> that's what's so crazy about this. Like, okay, witches are real. Yes, they are. <laughs> what they're doing actually is working. Yes, it is. Yeah. Guess what? <laughs> and you know, I've I, I have family relatives actually that they have experienced the occurrence of witches on like their balcony on the eighth floor yeah. with a closed window. And it was like really scary. And then they met the same people in the bus driving and they and the the witch recognized them. And mm. and so I don't have any question that what my family relatives were telling me was real. Yeah, if people are but wondering, try to, but try to explain that to anyone. <laughs> yeah, no, if people are wondering, <laughs> this is a real thing. World frames like that that they would take us directly to the doctor, probably. Yeah. Um, and one thing that came up to my mind when you were talking about Donald Glover and and, and bringing back magic. It's not the technical, um, Wiccan magic that I'm thinking of when I'm thinking of enchantment. I'm not in the magic sphere of harry potter like oh. saying this spell and something happens and you use it as a technique so it's like it's 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 more like gandalf because lord of the rings is full of magic but it's not being spoken of it's just woven into all of reality of, mm. of middle earth mm. and that's the enchantment that i want to kind of make my children aware of mm.
that they can see this second layer behind reality and not abuse it as a technology that they think they can use to further their own goals. That's not what I think of when I'm when I'm speaking of enchantment. No, and this absolutely. is why I think it's pretty dangerous actually um, these days because you have you have artificial intelligence like AGI just on the horizon. You have the discussion about aliens or are they demons or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so we're currently experiencing this total breakdown of materialist reality and things are forcefully coming into our worldview that don't fit in there any longer. And so what will necessarily happen is people will abuse this trying to make you know, their own benefit, try to achieve their own goals with it, whatever that may be. And it's yeah. and it will have detrimental consequences to to many. Um, and so what I think can be helpful is like, you know, you have to put on <laughs> your spiritual armor against that. Mm. Because we are not battling against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities that yeah. be. And that is a, a, a frame of thinking about reality that is, I mean, of course, deeply Christian, but we have to kind of, and this is what uh, this this Pete Pete K. He also has a, a, a YouTube channel, Strange Theology, and this is what he was thinking about uh, in his last video, saying like we we need to create a space where people can listen to our narrative and realize this might actually be helpful for understanding all the crazy stuff that is going to happen in 2024 and 2025. Yeah. 2023 yeah. was just a precursor to all of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because we have to look at, um, let's say, biblical stories, at least not us, but me before and other people. It's like, oh, but that now we're in modernity. It doesn't apply anymore. Yeah. It's like, no, no, no. It applies much more than before. Like this, this is where you start to really need them because you have nothing else to work off of. This is this is like priceless at this point. And this magic you're talking about, it reminds me of the Egyptians in uh, in Exodus, where yes. the magic is kind of like, you know, this yes. manipulation. Yes. And it's like the scientists of today, really. It's it's like AGI. It's it's the same thing for power. It's um yeah. It's not the enchantment you're talking about, it's really the, the dark magic. And what's what's so insane about the Exodus narrative? come to think of it is each of the plagues resembles an Egyptian god. Oh, really? Yes. It's like, if you look at all the plagues that happen, it's like, okay, all the imagery that's in there is like connected to one Egyptian god. So what's actually happening is God via Moses is taking down every single Egyptian god that's relevant to the Pharaoh. Mm. And in the beginning, it's like all the magicians are doing the same stuff that Moses is doing. It's like, okay, turn the water into blood. Yes, they can do that. Strangely enough, it's so weird. You would as expect, <laughs> I think Peugeot said that once, it's like you would expect the magicians at the court of the Pharaoh to turn the water, uh, to turn the, the blood back into water, which they can't do. So what they actually do is they use water and turn it also into blood and say, we can do the same, mm -hmm. but they can't reverse it. Yeah. So this is, this is already very interesting and it gets way weirder as well. This is, I mean, uh, it's, it's funny that you bring it up because right now I'm participating in Exodus 90, which is 
this Catholic uh, Exodus program 90 days before, uh, before before Easter. And we're going through the book of Exodus. And we're not there yet with the plagues, but we were there last year. Um, and I did that once already. So I'm looking forward to listening to that story again. Mm. I was actually thinking about the name Ramses. Uh, is it is it, it's an Exodus, right? Ramses. I'm not sure what the name of the pharaoh is there. Because I know it's from the Prince of Egypt, at least, because um, that's that's what I always see as a visual. <laughs> to watch <laughs> the animated that. movie. Yeah, of course. I watch it a lot. I listen to the soundtrack a lot. I like it. It's very, I love, there's the song called The Plagues. And yeah. it's, oh, yeah. it captures it so nicely. But <laughs> the name Ramesses. I was brought up with Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. So I can relate to. I, I, I think I watched this, but I, that's so far away. Is it? Does he wear like the robe and everything? Is it very colorful? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's okay, a colorful I robe. But... Okay, I think then I watched it. Maybe I'm making it up. But anyway, the the name Ramesses in Egyptian, I think it's like the same as Moses, but with uh, an Egyptian god before the name Moses. So I thought that was pretty interesting. It's like Moses takes off the god, <laughs> and now it's just that. Wow. But uh, but I'm sure it's a, it's a far fetched idea. Yeah. Anyway. Do you have any ideas popping up now? Otherwise, I have some questions. I mean, um, I would have to uh, review what I was thinking about. Listen, looking at your uh, final re final review year end of year yeah. discussion with your fiance, there were there were a lot of threads that were that I was wanting to pick up, and now I've forgotten them. So uh, maybe you just continue with the questions. Maybe it comes back. I do. I, I can mention some of the things we mentioned because I discussed it today briefly as well with my other guest. I was talking about um, the masculine and the feminine. And I was talking about how the masculine precedes the feminine. And today I had, so yeah. I had, I had this guy on who um, was kind of like an atheist, techno optimist, rationalist that I've had on before. And he commented about that, that I said that the masculine precedes the feminine. And he started to make a scientific argument why that's not the case. And I stopped him like five seconds in. And it was just so comical. I was like, this is exactly like what Sam Harris did with um, with heaven. You know, he like grabs a telescope. And he's like, I can't see it from here. So where is it? So. <laughs> I mean, Sam Harris is this, he's almost paradigmatic in a way because he's this figure of which the bible would say they had the knowledge but did not see it yeah and i mean this is this is probably what's also happening to many of us and i'm 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 not taking myself out of this far be from it i'm i'm more modern than i like to be mm. um and i'm grateful for the fact that i'm not pre-modern living yeah. in the past but right now, and yet, um, I mean, we talked a bit about that in in my first uh, talk with you. My bit of my biographic biographical background. I've had too many experiences of the second layer of reality breaking into the modernist frame. That um, I'm unable to deny the, its existence any longer. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know whether everyone 
need such a breakdown in their own lives? I hope not, because usually they turn out to be very messy and painful. Yeah. Um, but it seems to be a recurring pattern that if you're too self-confident and you're blinded by your own knowledge, then reality will kick you yeah. <laughs> at some point. That's for certain. Um, and I mean, yeah, the question is that it's, it's, it's also the question if there's any universality to Christianity or not, mm. because not everyone on this planet will have such an experience. And the question is, does he or she have to experience something like that to be able to transform into a mode of existence that is more valuable than the form before it? I don't know. Yeah. I think it's a bit overstretched to argue in that way. Mm. Yeah, I think experience in general or religious experience, let's say some really need it to, to have yeah. that, like you said, the, the layer, the other layer penetrate through. I definitely needed it because I had such a hard mind as a, as a child, as a teenager. Oh, I, I was, that was, that was one question that I had. Yeah. Um, to you actually. So if you don't mind that, we switch go ahead, <laughs> let's do it. Um, I listened to the discussion of oh, a few of your discussion with your father, which are always enlightening. It's man. I envy you for that relationship. <laughs> Believe me. It's, it's so beautiful watching you. Um, and you were talking about your, or he was asking you something about your ayahuasca experience. Now, I've read a book. I don't know if you know it. It's Monica Gaiano. She's a biologist. Mm -hmm. And she actually looked at how plants communicate with each other. Okay. And the way she was able to come up with the solutions and also some hypothesis was she was at the same time she was doing the research, she was also going through a lot of mediated trips like ayahuasca experiences and other kinds of um yeah psycho <laughs> uh, experiences mm -hmm. and so this uh, her book is titled thus spoke the plant so that the trees and the plants were literally speaking to her and through that she was able to to create experiments uh in the lab where she was able to corroborate the hypothesis that plants communicate with each other independent of chemical signaling. Okay. Which is really, really interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, oh. um, so that's kind of breaking the materialist framework right there at yeah. the, at, in, in the laboratory as well. And I was thinking about, it. I mean, you, you're still very, very young. Yeah. Um, at what age did you have that experience? Was that in the Netherlands? Was that somewhere foreign? Oh, it was when I was uh, 19, just turned 19. And it was in the Netherlands, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And were you guided by a healer or a, a shamanic figure that was, you know, creating the safe space that you can do that? Basically, it was the center. And yes, there were guides, for sure, that gave some explanation beforehand. And then we create like kind of a mystical type of setting with a lot of music and low lights and, and like incense and all these things. And yeah, so they were trying to, to make us feel as safe as possible 
and you would sit in like a circle and you would say out your intentions with this, which most people there were like, they had serious problems. Um, like they came all over from different countries and stuff. And I was, I was there mostly out of um, a deep wanting to, to come closer, I guess, to something that I've had glimpses of before. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the, to, to talk about the setting, that's, that's kind of what it was. Um, so yeah, it was, it was kind of this mystical setting. I don't think the guy was necessarily like a sh shamanistic figure. I think also there's a danger to doing it like this. I think it's much more wise to do it in like Peru, but this was uh, what was feasible at the, at the time. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Cause I mean, we know from reports from other experiences with those, um, uh, what's it called in English? Psychedelics. Yeah. With those psychedelics. Right. It's like, depending on the setting and it can be just the wrong lighting or the wrong music, you can yeah. have terrible, terrible experiences. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I had a, I had some, some of that when I opened my eyes and I started walking to the hallway mm -hmm. <laughs> and, um, you notice what you just spoke about, like the plants communicating. I, I look up and I see like the, the guides and they got like elf ears and stuff. Like it was like, there, there was another layer through mm -hmm. this reality. Mm -hmm. And I started walking through the hallway and the hallway, like it doesn't stop, you know? Um, did like you, did was... you observe any jester figures? No, no jesters, but um, definitely like what you spoke about, this enchanted type of view of reality, but also I, like a, there felt like a dark twist to it. Whereas yeah. when I was just in that safe space, it would be just the most overwhelming experience of love. Um, yeah, so it was quite a stark contrast, especially when I started to come off of it. And I was in between those two layers, let's say that that's when it started to get really yeah. sketchy and, and scary. Cause I, I, I was reminded, I had to think of my, my youth way back when I was still a teenager, yeah. like two decades ago. Um, I, when my parents broke up, I was always like, okay, what is the possible path for me to ex explain or understand what is happening to me. And it strangely enough, never occurred to me in the whole world that psychedelics or drugs or anything would be a possible avenue for it. Mm. And it was not like everybody around me was saying, don't do it. Actually, it was quite the opposite. When in <laughs> high school it was like, we did a trip to the Netherlands and everyone was like, oh, let's go to a coffee shop. And I was like, no. Mm. Yeah, I don't think so. I I had friends. They they took, uh, they took mushrooms, <laughs> yeah. twenty five years twenty twenty five years ago, and they had crazy trips, and used to tell me about that, and was like, ah, that's probably not my path, yeah. and so, I'm I'm still thinking about Paul's notion of the unearned wisdom. Mm -hmm. I don't think in in a totalizing sense, it's unearned wisdom because for some people that might be the relevant path they have to take. Mm -hmm. But I have come to experience that or to know that God is saying to me, that's not the way you are going to take. Yeah. For whatever reason, that may be the case. Yeah. 
And so I'm actually very open to the idea of the use of psychedelics, especially in medicine, if you look at um, end of life um, uh, treatment and that kind of stuff. I don't think that necessarily it's demonic or dangerous. It mm. can be for a few people and for some it might be actually very dangerous. Yeah. But I don't like the totalizing view of saying that everything that's, you know, psychedelics is always unearned wisdom mm. because I've earned wisdom and I know how I earn wisdom. It's through pain and suffering. That's yeah. A, that's, that's the only constant in my, my own life that I've come to know is like, if I think I'm wise or knowledgeable, I haven't suffered enough yet. Mm. <laughs> it's, yeah. Life always kicks you in the butt when you, when you're too, too high. Absolutely. Yeah. So have you experienced psychedelics since then? Or was that such a life-changing experience that you said, wow, I don't need that any longer? Because well, it, it shifted my frame of, of reality. It was it was even more than not needing it. It was actually um, a promise I made to myself while I was in that space that I told you about between those two worlds. Mm -hmm. I was so clear to myself. It was like, you are not to do this again. Wow. You have been shown um more than enough like yeah. you actually may not enter here because i think what i knew then and what i forgot after because after i leaned toward doing it again but i eventually didn't but what i knew then was um that this was kind of also a, i don't know it was it was it was part of my path and like you say what you said about that, that God told you or, sh or showed you that this was not part of your path. Yeah. It was no longer part of my path either. Yeah. Um, I had gotten what I needed from it and then it had to stop because otherwise it could turn into this, this idea of like venerating the psychedelics. And it was actually my partner who really talked me out of doing it again because I didn't have the right motivations for it. Um, I wanted to help a friend to do it I was thinking also of my father who initially wanted to do it with me also for mm. the wrong reasons. I got him to not do it with me because I told him you're only doing it because you don't want me to do it alone. And that could cause some serious trouble for you. That's really what I thought about because he did want to do it with me. And then later on, the only motivation I had, like I said, was to, to just help others to, to go there. But I realized that that she was right in saying that it's not what I should be doing. But yeah, I feel at the time I was, I came out of it thinking, oh, everyone should do this. You know, this is like, this is the cure for the world. But I wasn't aware of how different it could turn out for other people. And I also realized, I, I really see now how a lot of people that do do these things are not very wise. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that worries me. That, that worries me more than anything. Like whatever research you do, when I hear people speaking about some of these things and some of the some of the ways they view the world, like the, definitely this is not enough. Because um, because I mean, you and I know that there's a second layer of reality. Mm. But if you're in this materialist framework, those psychedelics don't open a gate to something that's in that second layer. Yeah. It's all just within the first layer. And so it's yeah. not, it doesn't feel very dangerous, does it? It's like, no, 
that's just like you know you you ha you have a little a little bit of booze too much you have a hangover who cares it's like the next day it's over but no 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 <laughs> you opened a portal yeah <laughs> it's something yeah, yeah. very different i think it's and why sam harris speaks about it so with such a i don't know like a veneration almost and he he really speaks he, he emphasizes experience all the time because like Richard, when he speaks with Richard Dawkins, Richard Dawkins would just do some mushrooms, you know? Yeah. Um, and when he speaks about religion, he often answers about experience. So that's something so, I think, I think so dangerous about it. So we really need the framework, like you say, in order to understand what's going on. And I think we've got a mystery guest. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Hello, good sir. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Pretend like I'm not here because I heard something was going. So just keep talking. Okay, we'll finish. Background. We'll finish these thoughts. We were just speaking okay. about psychedelics. So um, I have another question for you. Um, you were 19 when you had that ayahuasca experience. Yeah. And you're now turning 23. 22. I was just 22. You're 20. You're, you're turning 22. Yeah, I'm 22 now. I turned oh, 22, 22 right. a month, so month ago or so. You had your partner three years ago already. So your fiance who you're going to marry this year if i'm correct yeah two, since two years i've known her I, I was thinking about well if you have an experience like this you definitely don't want to do it for at least a year like even people that want to do it again they don't want to do it for at least a year so it came like a year after that i started thinking about it and then and she was able to talk you out of it yeah completely, completely. so this is interesting because you were in the early phase of your relationship then and she already had that impact on you. Oh, yeah. There's something about your relationship to her. Yeah. But I also, I knew from the first week that I wanted to marry her. So this is this it. is such an interesting parallel in my own life. Um, I met my wife when I was 18. Mm -hmm. She was still 17. And I remember the first talks we actually had, well, her father was driving us in the car to somewhere i don't know was like okay how serious are we going about this yeah and we were like okay well basically yeah marry of course kids yes so are we serious yes we are and that was like within the first three or four months yeah <laughs> like, you know you know and 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 so that that record was set straight right from the beginning and how, how old were you stefan uh i was 18 Oh, wow. So I proposed to her when I was 21. And no, wait, was it 21? No, actually, it, actually, it was 20. It was 2003. November 2000. Now it was 2004, I think. Well, I, it's, you know, it's a long time ago. <laughs> but I was 23 when, I, when we, we were both 23 when we married. And we were laughed at in our friend circle back then. I recall mm. people calling us and saying, don't you want to think this over again? Something better might still be ahead. <laughs> and I was like, you don't know my wife. <laughs> That's beautiful. And so, I'm, but I'm very grateful at the same time because as a child of divorce, I know that the divorce rate of divorced children is 50%. Yeah. So I've always seen this as pure grace happening to me, that it's it's not my own doing that this works out. It's we both 
wrestle with each other and wrestle with God and wrestle with reality and somehow it works out. Mm. We keep on keeping on and believe that at the end of the road, gold is waiting. Beautiful. And uh, so in a sense, I can, I can, I can hear that there's this almost transcendental hope that you have had from the beginning in your own relationship with your partner. And this transcendental hope was, you know, part of how she was able to influence you back then and what brought you into this path that you're going to get married this year. Mm. Which I think is in these in these times, it's the most radical thing you could do. <laughs> it's such a punk move. It's like, okay, I'm getting married before 25. It's like, way to go. Yeah. More power to you. This is Thanks, insane. Man. Yeah, it's really what it's being viewed as. Now, it's funny because um, I wasn't sure how people would respond to it. Like you were speaking about the responses they had to you. And it's been overwhelmingly uh, positive. Like to a degree that I could have never imagined. Like I still almost every day get someone congratulating me. Because um, I think people are really like, wow, this is actually possible still. Yeah, and this is, this is where we tie back to what I said earlier on about the lighthouse. Mm. Yeah. What you're doing there is a lighthouse mode moment. It's like you're not moving, you're standing still and you're shining right in a time where people are single or are divorced or mm. are incels. Or, I mean, it's it's the strangest of times. Who would have thought that like 50 years after the sexual revolution, young adults don't have sex any longer? Yeah. In what time are we living, actually? Mm -hmm. And so when you're in, in your relationship, um, if that is pointed outwards to the society at large, people can see that as a real beacon of light. Because it shows there's a fundamental hope that exists. And that ties back to the fact that, I mean, I'm not Catholic yet, but still there's something sacred to this relationship of man and woman within the bounded relationship of marriage. And mm. that is participating in a higher reality. So it's the, it's the breaking of something transcendental into this material reality. And it shows in marriage. And this is why people either get mad about it or utterly excited about it. I also yeah. think in, in your uh, case, like what might be different from you compared to Stefan is that, um, you know, you had your own friends when you were, let's say, Stefan's age. Yeah. And like, um, to some extent, yeah, it's it's like you kind of, well, you, you've, you've discussed now many times on your channel how sort of how radically different sort of, of 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 a person you've become i mean like in 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 a good way um and that not that you were like i really enjoyed you actually like as as a, as a younger brother also when you were younger but i'm just saying like i know that this is something you at least look very positively back upon um and that also means that at some point like once you're sort of trying to see or find what is that new identity now i guess that i'm assuming and then you know then uh, meeting your partner there and um, now getting engaged with her, but then also like having yeah, sort of new friends that sort of are seeing you in this new light, right? So that also means that you don't, you know, like it's kind of like something I think that uh, is often discussed that, you know, if you're still with certain friends who don't 
congratulate you for your for some of your successes right because in some ways like that's kind of what, what stefan was alluding to is like sometimes you can be actually met with criticism or jealousy it's like yeah. wow I would, and that's the thing, like sometimes people, uh, like friends of mine also said this who got married, is like that sometimes people just respond like, oh, whoa, I would never do that at this point. You know, like just like <laughs> they immediately tie it back to themselves. And that's the thing, like, so there's something, my, my point is like the contrast between you and Stefan is you kind of got into these new networks of people and new friendships mm -hmm. that saw you for who you've become and not for, oh, Lucas, no, no, that's that's strange. You know, why are you no longer this person that we knew before? Kind of, you know. Yeah. So I also think that that that's also why people are so positive. Uh, and for us, yeah, we're just for this for us. This is part of your wonderful uh, development where you seem to really be coming into your own, uh, but not in an individualistic way, but in a, a way of yeah, um, individuation, right? Thanks, man. And uh, welcome, welcome to the conversation. Glad you could make it. <laughs> popped in here i wasn't sure if you would uh I yeah was actually i uh, I, I i i just just put uh Madeleif to bed <laughs> and, then, and then i was like okay i might have some time still for this that's so. fun that's really good i was watching the nietzsche talk actually and i started the, uh, nice. the panel discussion you had oh i i so i have not not the thing is like usually i don't really uh, listen back like to any of these uh, conversations that we have because like usually you post them like the day after so i'm like ah it's fine i kind of like remember yeah. but then with karen wong like she posted like a month after so then i was curious like okay was it kind of like how i remember is it different and then the same thing was obviously with the Mannheim talks it was interesting to listen back to that but i haven't listened yet to the panel discussion i just remember mm. being very 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 tired after my own talk and that like so i'm like a little bit afraid that maybe you know but we'll we'll find out soon enough i, I guess then i made you even more tired because while we were walking back to the to the hall away i was like yes that's chatting true. with you like Nietzsche, <laughs> Goethe, <laughs> sense making <laughs> yeah but 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 that's also wonderful you know it's kind of like you know you you one way in which you know that your talk went well is if people like go up to you after afterwards and are like, well, I really want to discuss this now, you know, like otherwise yeah. people yeah. just kind of yeah. stay to themselves. So I really appreciated that actually. So thank I you. I mean, you you definitely have a teaching talent and a lecturing talent. So that, that shows. Mm. Um, and it's, it's, it's great to, to uh, see that also in the videos that you do. Mm. It's like you really have a volition, a vo vocation there. Not volition. Mm. You have a vocation there, and I think that's something really, really uh, obvious to me, at least. Mm. Um, that, maybe not as really obvious to yourself, stuff. but uh, I can see that immediately the benefit of those participating in your seminars. Mm. That that's amazing. That's that's a great couple. It's also it's a good good for me to hear because this this is kind of going to be the year when I need to make some decisions regarding actually that career path. So. Um, yeah. Thank you for your two cents. On and it's a tough time. I mean, I, I, I went through that as well. I was like three semesters, no, actually four or five semesters, teaching assistant hmm. and research assistant and yeah, exactly. uh, yeah. You know the, you know the student real. advisor, all that stuff yeah. at the university. I, I began in the in August two thousand and eight, and I left university in December of two thousand fifteen. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. So it and it, it's you know, oh, that it thing, like you can't really complain. Me. It's also great, you know, like it's a great environment and it's wonderful, but it's also yeah, there's something so bureaucratic, Kafkaesque kind of about it also. So it, yeah. on the one hand, yes, very yeah. Kafkaesque indeed, and on the other hand, at least in my uh, 
field, it almost felt like, okay, this is not, not a sect exactly, but it has kind of this seemingly monastic aspect yeah. to it that, you know, there's, there, there are a small group of enlightened people. You have to participate in certain, certain rituals to become a member yeah, and once yeah. you're in there, you become enlightened yourself. And so when yeah. you tell them that, no, 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 wait, wait, I'm doing this research, I'm doing the PhD, and afterwards I'm going into the job market, Yeah, they are disappointed because it's like a taboo. It's like, yeah, okay, yeah. you're breaking religious laws here. You have to believe in our God, not in yours. It's like, no, yeah. wait. <laughs> no, I mean, you are right. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's it's, it's really good. I mean, obviously, like, I'm... I'm not there yet so like i'll have to see for myself but it seems to fit the pattern very closely so far like, so when wait, like I, I i don't want to impose because like you have been talking for 45 no, minutes no no go on no, no, it's, it's been very okay. uh it's been very intuitive so we can just jump okay. from thing to thing it's very okay, good. Okay, okay. actually if i if i if i may um i i have a few observations or, or comments on your discussion about the transcendentals oh yeah that awesome. i put into the comments section as well but while you're here i might just ask you too and i haven't maybe... seen it like wait wait when did you respond that to the in the comment section yesterday oh, okay okay that, that's why i haven't seen it okay Cur okay tell so, me I'm super curious. um yeah. you were talking about the tension between the platonic and the Arist aristotelian view yeah. of, of the transcendentals and that reminded me of the particle wave duality of light i don't know if that makes sense to you but it's like <laughs> if you collapse the tension into either a particle or a wave yeah um that depends on the measurement by an intelligible yeah. observer right right yeah, okay. so in that sense both are right i'm just going to read what i what i wrote there in that yeah. sense both are right the true the good the beautiful can be at times a platonic idea that permeates all of reality yeah just like a wave yeah and at other times it can collapse into a concrete single particle with a specific motion and, and place mm, right like yeah, it's not either or it's yeah. both and and it depends on the intelligible observer whether it is you know this platonic idea or whether it's just a matter of empirics right yeah. but, yeah, but yeah. that again also means that this falls under under the heisenberg uh, uncertainty principle yeah you can either know the motion of a particle or its yeah. position, but not both at the same time. Mm. Right. And wait, this this by the way is so interesting. So like for one of my classes, actually, I I I took Heisenberg as an like sometimes you know like you you um you have all these students in front of you and they're like let's say in a in a physicalist paradigm, uh but then you're teaching them like Plato and then the Timaeus and. For some of them, that's just like so far removed of what they're what they could potentially be interested in. So I like so indeed I I I actually used Heisenberg because he uh, has this I think this book I think it's uh, yeah it's called Encounters with Einstein. And then also like I'll I'll read this aloud because this is of one of my college slides. He also says like in attempting continual division, we ultimately do arrive in Plato's opinion at mathematical forms. These forms are not themselves matter but they shape it and his point is like this is actually super close to what we could now find in quantum mechanics like kind of what you're mm -hmm. talking about is like there seem to be these probabilities at the base root and that's sort of like the shaping of what eventually is the physical matter that then comes about and that seems fairly close sort of to what plato is describing um so yeah that's actually super nice i actually i, I totally agree and that that also shows like 
at least if I'm following you, so please correct me if I don't, that from the Aristotelian perspective, that would be looking for um, for the result. And in Plato's perspective for like, okay, no, but what is forming the result, yeah. right? Like yeah. what is right. that? Right, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Great, that, that's, that's really good. That's really good, super nice. Um, Something that also, I also noticed, and not just in your talks, but in general in, in this little corner of the internet is, at many times, there's this argument from authority. Mm. It's like, at times, I don't know whether Viveki is talking about what he thinks himself, or he's just quoting thousands of sources, and we are trying to find out what he means by that. And so your discussion about the transcendentals also had a touch of that in it. It's like you are on where a lot of times, you know, referring to Nietzsche and, and, and Plato and, and Aquinas and all this. And at the end of the day, what I find fascinating about those talks in, in, in this little corner of the internet is, what do you think? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. So it can get lost. Like, okay, we're all in our literature review and all excited that we know the stuff. And we try to, you know, compress it into one sentence and then put it into a video. And this is, this yeah. is beautiful. And I do the same. I'm prone yeah. to that as well. But at the end of the day, what really sticks for me is like, what was the soul and heart of Aaron telling me at that point? Yeah. I also think like, to be fair, this is a little bit of insecurity as well, right? Like it's like, I think you, you're familiar with this because you've been in the academic environment is that when you just start learning about something, and I don't mean like just started learning yesterday, but even when you just started learning, let's say like a year ago or something like that, you don't feel things become like part of your expertise that quickly. Um, and then it's just, you just feel like it's right to constantly cite your source because like, okay, I, I'm not sure what I'm talking about. I just know that this person said this because like, I'm really mm -hmm. like, I'm still forming sort of my own, my own view on this. Uh, and at the same time, I do agree like that underlying that there is like, if you would keep asking me and maybe that that's what, what you want to do. Like, I do think I have a, a view there, but it's very different from someone like Nietzsche who have like, I've read all of his books, right? And all of, uh, like, not all of his, but like ma many of his personal letters. And I've really thought about this for like six years now. And then all of a sudden you can see emerging like, okay, that's what the secondary li literature says about him. But, you know, this is kind of my own view in contrast to that. Mm -hmm. And I ca can't do that really with the transcendentals yet. And yet I do think that if you would keep asking that maybe you'll find like, okay, actually I do have some intuition of this because they're transcendental, so they're universal, right? So they're not... Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I fear that. Yeah. And this might be an on-ramping problem to this corner, but also an on-ramping problem to academia and to discussions in general is we feel so suspicious about our own intuitions yeah. that we don't allow them to, you know, get out there. And I'm now at the point in my life where I think, no, wait, turn it the other way around, say something, you can be wrong, that argument might be killed. Mm -hmm. But that's much better than waiting for the point in time where you think that you really know it. Yeah. <laughs> and then you put it out. <laughs> and then it's and also explicit already that, you know, it gets destroyed. Yeah, it's it it's like, I was listening to a discussion about implicit and explicit knowing. And I think in science today, you have to be completely explicit in your knowing before you present an argument. Whereas I don't know where I heard this. So tell me if I'm wrong, but I think that initially like the first um, like academic papers, I think like early 20th century, maybe 
think maybe this was someone from Harvard. I don't know. But uh, the idea was present something original. That's the most important thing. Like outside of that, that doesn't matter that much, but it can be totally wrong. Just be original so that a lot of people can, can play with it and do yeah. something with it. And that's, that's like so much more intuitive than, than what we have today in a world that's like somehow trying to get rid of the masculine, but only trying, but by trying to do that, only fortifying it more and more yeah. and thereby we lose that, that feminine intuitive energy, let's say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, it's it's also like I think I think what you're what you're saying, um, Stefan. I don't know. I I also find it difficult. Like I, for me, I use the detour. Um, so I maybe maybe you can relate to this because you actually mentioned before that you in this little corner you kind of have your uh, intellectual homing in some ways, right? Like I, I think that that's the way you described it. If, I, if I'm yeah. not mistaken, um, and that that also shows that. For many of these matters, I have like an intellectual route to get there to actually find out that if I keep talking about it long enough, then sort of like, you know, the through line will show up. And then like, ah, that's actually where my intuitions were at, because actually my intuitions are far less transparent to me. And I think there are different ways of dealing with that, because so I think the dialogue form one reason why I really enjoy it. I just now see that my hair is all messed up. One reason why I really enjoy it is um, that it's collective right so it's, it's it's a very collective process i also think obviously people can meditate together and that can be a, a beautiful thing but one thing about the dia- dialogical process like if you just keep talking with someone like you might be a completely like you know different uh wavelengths literally and then at some point you're at the same wavelength that's also when it starts dawning on you and then it's like wow okay this is really powerful and that's why i really enjoy that form even though i'm super aware that on its own and just by yourself, it might actually be far more valuable to at times to just to stick close to your intuitions and just state them as opposed to indeed going this intellectual route about it. But for me, it does work depending on the context and how much time I have. So yeah, it's a bit of a tricky thing. I mean, what I think holds true is that what Jordan Peterson says is while we are talking, we are thinking. Yeah. yeah. It's not the other way around. At least I've experienced that when I'm, on my own and think to myself that's just half of the thinking process yeah and so it's really helpful to have you know a partner in dialogue to to realize okay this is what i'm thinking i didn't know i was thinking this this is interesting yeah Yeah, and i also think like it's strange but um you know the people who started podcasting you know like they how should I say it? Like they probably like the reason why they felt confident enough to start talking is because they kind of, you know, they felt, I don't know, they, they felt comfortable in having a dialogue with someone. And also they were like, okay, yeah, we're going to record this. So we're aware that it's going to be, you know, viewed or listened to by, by some people. And that's actually interesting because it shows that implicitly there's all these rules or, you know, what should I should say it, just expectations surrounding dialogue that actually make it a very admirable, um, good practice and that's also why people are listening to it so it's not just that indeed while we're talking we're thinking you know that that's one thing which is super valuable but also we are at the same time uh how should i say it like we're demonstrating this practice of like what is good thinking supposed to look like because there's rules to this dialogue where indeed now for instance what i could do is like i'll grab my phone i'll start looking at my phone and then be like oh yeah, what did you say? You know, but I'm not gonna do that, right? Because like we're kind of in this agreement that you no, know, we're we're really having this close and upfront talk, and therefore people listening to this hopefully also get this implicit model, if even if it didn't become 
um, conscious at some point, maybe now at this moment it will, that they're training themselves how to think as well. At least that's how podcasting has worked for me. But you can only do that once you make the extra step to then enter in the dialogues yourself and the conversations yourself. Yeah. In a fundamental sense, we are sharing attention with each other. Yeah. And that is agapic love. Yeah. <laughs> that's a principle of love laying itself out in reality. So it's not the romantic relationship that's also relevant. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm a romanticist at heart. So <laughs> yeah, because also because also because you have like this um, faith or trust that the conversation like that, where it will go, it will be good in some ways. Yeah. You know, like you kind of you're not at least I'm not like nervous, like, oh, my God, OK, it's good going well so far. But who knows where it will be going? Like, I'm actually like fairly confident and faithful because I feel comfortable with both of you. Uh, and not just comfortable in the sense like, you know, nothing adventurous will happen. Actually comfortable in the sense like, you know, we've had good experience, adventurous experience in the past. And I'm sure there will be more of that tonight. And in that sense, it's like it's 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 properly agapic because it's not just like, you know, you do your thing and I do my thing. But it's actually like, you know, let's let's find where each other's complexities can like enrich each other. Right. Yeah. 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 This is this is what this is what I experience as this homing in. Yeah, it's. What I was talking about earlier on this transcendental hope, um, mm -hmm. I come into this this discussion, this dialogue, not with a sensation of anxiety, but with the sensation of I'm safe here and I don't care how it turns out because it will be good anyways. It's like uh, Pippi Longstockings, Pippi Langstrom saying, oh, we never tried that, so it must be good. So yes, that's it. <laughs> yes, exactly. Right there. Yeah. Um, and strangely enough, I'm always utterly anxious when I'm trying to talk with people offline about issues that relate to this little corner of the internet. Do you mean people within the corner offline? Or no, 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 no. Oh. It's like if you yeah. try, if I try to talk about what I experience in this little corner with my family, <laughs> yeah. yeah, or with my friends, yeah, it's I I'm at a loss for words. Because it's purely propositional. Mm. So mm. I would have to draw them into the participatory aspect of it to make them realize what this is about, but I can only speak it with words. And so what lands with them is only my words and not the total experience. Yeah. Yeah. We spoke actually, Alan, you weren't there for it, but we kind of spoke about something like this before where we spoke about. Well, it's first how special these conversations are and the conditions that come with them and how we can then like carry them out into our lives. And I was telling Stefan that I actually do feel like I have these types of conversations offline. And that's, I think, the only reason that I can explain this stuff to people. Yeah. That Like the value of this. Then, then people know me already. I'm like, oh, yeah. And I, I like to do these podcasts. And I like to speak to people. It's like, oh, why do you like to speak with people? What do you speak to them about? Like it could be really anything. And I recently had this with... Um, with Jules's mother, um, so my partner's mother, she was like completely questioning me. Like she was baffled, like by this whole phenomenon. She starts listening now to the podcast. She's like, "But, but, but, why do you do it?" And all these things. And now she's starting to see it. It's so sweet. But, mm -hmm. but you know, the people around me are are understanding already. So I think what you say, this participatory aspect, is so important. So I think the the idea of 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 carrying this spirit that you say, like this agapic spirit, um, sharing attention carrying that out into into the world i think can allow 
for people to understand the value of it and then trying to mm-hmm. i don't know trying to create a corner or sort of a home in which we can feel comfortable speaking like this everywhere basically everywhere where there is necessity for it and me and stefan discussed at the start like there's a necessity for it everywhere i think there's so many people now um that really feel like they, they need something like this or perhaps something else that's a bit less propositional although i do feel that these conversations go beyond the propositional often yeah that yeah, may be actually, naive like, but i know no no but but at least like i mean obviously like it's propositional in the sense that we're communicating um but you know like for instance pvk has his call-ins on friday and sometimes they're just like you know, it's like, what do we want to talk about? And sometimes we end up talking about like nothing really in particular. It's just kind of like, oh, you know, yeah, I was just, uh, it's just a school today. And it's kind of interesting because I think it's this environment where people, at least if they then start having this, you know, in-depth conversation about something, it is okay. It's okay. And everyone is there for it. Everyone will go along with it and everyone will entertain it. So no one will like roll their eyes, like, you know, because that's at least, I'm curious how that's for you, Stefan, but that's been my experience sometimes you know like as this outsider friend that sometimes you know like i'll i might want to start something and some people appreciate it but if i go on for too long or if i'm with the wrong people or at least the people that do not like it like they'll just be like okay you know now we just get this like philosophical side even though we just you know wanted to talk about our next holidays or something like that um and it's it's, yeah it's in a sense is what you were talking about with um was it with karen wong I don't, I don't remember, but you were talking about the uh, foreign languages and that one mm. feels more free. Yeah, I think it was Karen Wong, yeah. Yeah, so, so I have the paradoxical situation that I'm more free to talk about all this stuff, Verveke, Peterson, PVK, in English. Yeah, that's strange, right? Which is terrible for me because <laughs> me trying to translate that into the German is making me totally unfree mm-hmm. i'm literally there with tied hands it's like i don't know which words i should use to convey what i mean because i'm thinking it in english well stefan i'm just saying like uh maybe now you know what it feels like for outsiders into nietzsche and heidegger and <laughs> yes. uh, hegel and like and all those people that like a dasein you know and geworfenheit and they need to like all take those terms and like you know you can't really translate them but i i get what you're saying like that's actually precisely why that scholarship is often so cluttered because like all these people kind of bringing their own languages to it and usually in a way that just mess things up a little bit and yeah i i, I could see that yeah it does make you and at the same time it's like fundamentally we're always wrong mm-hmm. yeah it doesn't matter how wrong we are we are always wrong it's just yeah. you know all models are wrong some are useful so <laughs> we might just as well put our models out there and see how it works yeah yeah, yeah so that's i i think that was very valuable of what the uh, waves of obsession video did yeah because he was basically saying, "Get out there and just do it. Mm-hmm. Just start it. We're do we're we're failing at it anyways. It doesn't yeah. matter. It's the fact that we take the first step that's important, and by that we create, you know, motion and energy, and then we we will we'll see how that goes. But that always okay. in, that always involves this this hope that mm-hmm. will turn out good in the end. Yeah, like yeah. Uh, Oscar Wilde." Yeah. Uh, the end is good if it's not if it's not good it's not the end yeah yeah yeah, yeah no that, that's, that's and we're not point. there yet so 
Yeah, and 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 I, and I would say like that's really one of the positive things characterizing the this little corner that that's kind of what we're talking about though is like that there does seem to be like an implicit ethic even though like we don't say yes. okay yes. by the way join in you really have to do like you know we have these etiquettes you have to hold on like we don't really say what they are but yet at the same time you do find okay there's something that like there's a spirit in this little corner that is not there elsewhere um and at the same time like one thing that i found super interesting is that paul noticed that this little corner is becoming self-aware. All of a sudden, we're constantly talking about this little corner. You know, it's like at the start, we were just having conversations about, you know, separate topics. And now we're having conversations about conversations, you know. And now we're having a conversation about having conversations about conversations. And the like, system has become an autopoetic system. Yes. <laughs> exactly. And where Very does interesting. Go? Yeah. So, so I'm just curious, like, what does, like, is that just a phase? Um, and, or is it something that, you know that self-awareness will keep on existing and I, I don't know where it will go from here it's kind of interesting you know it's a new new development to throw in a few buzzwords it's just evolutionary fractal pattern playing out there yes <laughs> exactly it's no, just kidding but this is this you, you're really making a very important point this i when i stumbled into this little corner into the bridges of meaning discord i was at a point in my life where I was suffering from health-related anxiety. Really big issues. And I even went to a psychiatrist and after the first session, I dropped out because I said, no, that's not, this is not going to work out. <laughs> that's not the problem I have. Um, and then I, I stumbled onto uh, Jordan Peterson, 12 Rules for Life. And I read that in the go, and a year later, my wife said, you know, I don't know what happened back then and what you read, but it changed you for the better. And this is when I got really interested and said, wow, I mean, something had an effect on me. Maybe it was Peterson's book. I don't know what it was, but I want to find out what that was. And so I was looking for comments about Jordan Peterson. And that's when PVK basically yeah. <laughs> was the first one. And I said, okay, I'm going to listen to, to PVK. And since I came into this corner with anxiety problems, I know that I would not have stayed in this corner if the corner had created anxiety problems for mm -hmm. me, because I was very sensitive to that, yeah. you know, issue. And so I'm totally uh, siding with you there. I think we have an implicit ethic at work here. Yeah. And for me personally, it's a very healthy ethic. Mm -hmm. might not be the perfect one i don't care for perfection it works <laughs> i think what's also really interesting right is that this is um it's open so usually you'd say like the more a group cements the more they actually let's say exclude themselves from society and are like you know and they become cult-like because there's all this implicit stuff going on but you don't know but now it's just like everyone can join, everyone can watch this. It's all in public. You know, I'm actually keenly aware of this because, you know, I have students at the university who might also stumble upon this. Um, and that that's just very strange. But at the same time, I think it keeps us very grounded in both this ethic between us, but also to be like, yeah, okay, but we also have an ethic with it, like between us and the wider society. And that's also, I think, the way we're thinking about this. That's like, yeah, we do not just want to make ourselves happy. We really want to think about how does this skill and you know that it doesn't like we don't want it to scale too quickly, but you also don't want it to just stagnate at some point. Yeah. Uh, and we know that it will stagnate if at some point you just become entirely your own thing that is 
nowhere like in touch anymore with reality you know um, in, in a sense it's very interesting that you see jordan peterson saying like if you think about yourself that's the same thing as being miserable yeah, yeah. and you have this christian ethic of caring for the other and if you look at the the jewish notion of you know the orphan and the widow it's always taking care of those weak and vulnerable fringes of society where you can stand out best and you're not miserable mm -hmm. and so this is what i've been I, it ties back to what lucas and i were talking about in the beginning it's like okay how can you change the world i don't think you can change the world by revolution and you know going outwards and and with massive force but it's more like this lighthouse principle at times it's utterly boring to stand at the same place and not moving but other people see you and see the beacon of light that you are shining because you're still standing there. Mm -hmm. and so in a sense maybe what this little corner is actually creating is like these beacons of light small as they may be mm -hmm. to shine both into the online and offline world yeah and make people realize there's something more keep it that that not define what that more is but you know just that taste of this more whatever that might be and at the end of the day it turns out to be hope and this is this is such a uh, motivating feat of this little corner it's like i don't feel disappointed when i'm in a discussion <laughs> i don't begin it with the with disappointment and i don't end it with disappointment and that's basically like like one of the rules of jordan peterson is like if you can't do anything else at least don't end the day more miserable than you began it <laughs> that's like the you know one principle and it seems to work out very well in this little corner mm -hmm. yeah yeah I totally agree i really felt that there's a almost prophetic <laughs> way you said that like i was i was hearing you speak and i was just seeing like all the interactions between the people here but also like when i'm at work or something or you know just speaking to friends and stuff and kind of like speaking about things that oftentimes they've never been exposed to oftentimes it's younger people and i start speaking about like I don't know, Socrates or whatever, whatever like makes sense to them. And you start seeing them light up, like all these things are there. Or if it's someone that's more of like a self-help oriented person, like po pointing toward the next horizon. And then just, I don't know, I just I just love this idea, what you said, that there's hope there. Um, yeah, if, if I were to boil down, you know, compress everything I've heard yet of, of PVK, or Peterson or Peugeot or Vaveki. It's like reality is good. Yeah. yeah. Existence is benevolent. Mm. Let's get on this journey and experience this benevolence. It's okay. not the negativity that's out there. It's not the malevolence that everyone says that reality just is. Yeah. Yeah. And and you can frame that into a Christian story. You don't have to. But at the end, it's hope. It's this goodness. And this is what I want to transport. This is why I'm still hanging on to this little corner. It's like giving me energy to think about how can I put that into practice in my own life. Mm -hmm. And so I really pushed my wife and my kids. We we, we created these little um, plastiques like, like 
houses uh, with a heart in it. And we went out today to our neighborhood and gave everyone one of these houses with the heart in there. And we, you know, we got into discussion with those. The, the, the one old man, he's like 96. His wife died just before Christmas. He was married to her 68 years. And so we were able to share a bit of his experience with that and said, okay, we, we have to make a date and get him to coffee for, you know, for an extended talk. And we had that with all the six neighbors we have in, in this, you know, quarter that we're living in. And it was such a meaningful experience for all of us. And they literally said, thank you so much for thinking about us or coming to us. And this is like, this is essentially, this is the goodness. That's the agapic love. And so I think we need to, and I realized that that this is this little corner, as good as it is, I need to put that into practice in reality. And you have to begin with the smallest possible step. And that means take care of your family, take care of your neighborhood, and everything comes after that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, and maybe we can get back to that and, and wrap things up, at the same time, I think... Both you, Lucas, both Aaron and me, we all have not just a job, but also a vocation. And we have um, gifts that have been given to us. And these gifts can work for the good. And so the question is, how do we, you know, train these gifts? And I think this is also part of the experience of this little corner. I experienced myself writing the Goethe podcast, and it's like, wow, I this is interesting. I didn't know I was able to do that. Way to go. Lucas is an insanely good interview partner, so he's doing that, and we can see there's a lot of talent in there as well. Aaron, you're, you're crazy good as a lecturer, so you can see that there's all these sparks of you know benevolence in that. And the question is, what do we make of it? Mm. And this little corner is actually, in a positive sense, driving us to ask ourselves these questions. What do we want to make of the gifts that have been handed to us? What what do we turn that into? And at the end of the day, it should at least be something. Doesn't need to be perfect. Doesn't yeah. need to be the greatest thing ever done. I mean, I spent weeks last year creating this online video essay called What is a Human? Putting in all to all these this video snippets from movies and and plays and theater and thinking about AGI and what is what is transhumanism, all that kind of stuff. The best views I've had on one of those videos is like 70 or 80. Who cares? Mm-hmm. At that point, I was almost obsessed by the idea that I had to create something like that. Yeah. And I did that and that was worth its experience already. And who knows what turns out of it? So back to Aaron, you might be uncertain of what you're actually thinking or unsure, but nonetheless, it's always valuable to hear you. So you can be wrong. You're almost certainly going to be wrong. <laughs> actually, like, by the way, Karen is, is one someone who pushed me further than most people because she has like all these questions that were relating yeah. to what was it again, like to quantum mechanics, all that kind of stuff. And I was like, Okay, this is definitely where my expertise ends. So then I was just put on the spot and I thought it was kind of scary, but you know, you're totally but that's, right. That's 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 the difference between, you know, this uh what 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 Lucas said, 
the difference between uh, expressive knowledge was it implicit and explicit Impl implicit and explicit knowledge so and and the feminine and the masculine so basically at a point yeah. the, the a really good dialogue turns from the uh, explicit knowledge discussion into an implicit poetry mm. and this implicit poetry doesn't need an absolute uh, correspondence truth mm -hmm. It's like you don't need to be right in a totalizing sense about uh, quantum mechanics. Mm -hmm. But you can still participate in that discussion with your intuitive approach, with your language, and create something that is not science but poetry. Mm -hmm. And by that, convey something of the transcendentals itself. Yeah. 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 And this is this is what's great about this little corner. It's both. It can be like this really scientific, thinky-talky stuff, and at the same time, deeply poetic, yeah, and moving. And people get something out of that. Yeah, and it also, and that's and the beauty about that is that, and that's I guess what Peugeot was trying to do, right? Like he is showing how fast you can skill up the phenomena, yeah. right? So you can indeed like you can look at the symbolic structure of. Uh, what are you putting on your socks <laughs> and then scale that up to the symbolic structure of organizing a society. Right. And then it's just like, and that's just wonderful because that's, I think that's what you were describing in some ways that, uh, yes, it can be sort of up here, but then it can go all the way down here, but it's not like those are separate. It's not like, okay, you know, like now we do this and then we do that. It's like, we see the, the through line. Right. And that, that's what makes it so wonderful. Yeah. It's amazing. I love the, the call from Stefan. To us and I think to everyone listening, I think you all have a gift. Wolfgang Smith said uh, the vocation is God-given, so do something good with it for sure. <laughs> I wanted to comment quickly on Karen. Every time I'm on Karen's podcast, she starts throwing in some biology or whatever. <laughs> and we both have no idea what we're talking about, but that's the point. So I'd say embrace yeah, exactly. that. I, I also, but just quickly, like, Stefan, did you already release the second episode or not yet? Because I don't have that app, I think. Of Goethe? No, I did not. Okay, okay, I did okay. Not. Yeah. I just want to say, I'm like, still, I want to I'm still struggling with the script because, boy, that first episode, that took a lot of energy. Yeah, well, you, I think everyone could tell. Like, it was so impressive how much work was in was put into that. And also, like, all the snippets with the vocals. It's just, yeah. I don't know, like, what you said, it did make it a far more immersive experience. But yeah. also, like, I do want to take some pressure away, right? Like, so if it's too much like i think everyone is will be satisfied with whatever you 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 put out at this point because it's so clear that you know all the effort is not so much necessarily just in the editing it's in all the work you've done in the past yeah decades. yeah yeah. Okay. yeah i'm 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 thankful for the fact that i've used notes on my on yeah. my smartphone for the last 2 years hmm. and sometimes i just open those notes and see oh my gosh that's what i already wrote goodness uh -oh. gracious how am i going to incorporate that into what I've already done. This is insane. So I'm right now it's more editing than creating new. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, I'm still continuing reading all those biographies, all the background literature and seeing that's like, wow, actually I'm so excited that I think PVK should get something out of this. Yeah. This is so important because Goethe yeah. is like really the figure that mm -hmm. creates the modern identity of the individual. Mm -hmm. Amazing. He lit his individuation process before he wrote his Götz von Berlichingen is basically the blueprint to what PVK calls the secret sacred self. Mm -hmm. It's 
perfectly laid out there. And Nicholas Boyle has a, a chapter in his in his uh, biography. One should read just that chapter and see all the you know the connections between all the discussions that we're having in this little corner of the internet. Mm. And so I'm so excited that at the same time I'm thinking that this has to be so good. Yes, I see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah? That I, I don't want to mess this up. This is yeah. just way too important for me. This and, and I'm saying I want a comment section. Like you're not posting it on YouTube yet, but I want to be able to leave some comments. But that's oh actually that's just a technical issue. I'm still trying to work out how I can make an OBS video with the MP3 audio and right. maybe do a few file slides, mm. like oh, yeah. Yeah. a few images of Goethe and 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 his time, mm. so that I can upload it to YouTube as well. Great. So nice. that's that was literally what I was thinking about how to solve that problem today. Awesome. So <laughs> that's great. I'm gonna link this down below. Uh, I am gonna have to wrap it up, but I had a great conversation with the both of you. Yes, Quickly you for so the much. implicit, thank you for the implicit explicit knowledge. I'll link the conversation of Brad and Karen. I really like it. it was about Lord of the Rings, Dune, and the Ransom trilogy. Just wanted to mention that because I know Brad listens to this. Aaron's talk will be down below as well. It's been uh, released very recently. I'm going to talk to you, Aaron, offline about it. I uh, I thought it was really well done. I think that, uh, Stefan, you were right <laughs> when you told me how good it was. So I'm very happy about that. And I will link your Goethe episode one down below, which was also like, like wow, people really need to, need to listen. And I'm Thank excited you so to see much. it on YouTube. Thank you guys so much. I wish you both uh, a good night. I wish Thank you for allowing me to join so late. Next week. And... <laughs> It's great to know you two brothers. It's it's uh, it's really uh, a blessing to me. So thank you so much. Likewise. Likewise. See you guys. Have a good night. Bye bye. Yes. Good.